Morning and happy Sabbath. As, as usual, it's a pleasure to be here with you studying God's Word together. Pastor Miguel is actually taking the lessons we learned last week to heart and taking some well-deserved time with his family and resting together with them. So it will be me and uh, Pastor Stu guiding you through this lesson together. But before we begin, I invite you to bow your heads with me with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for being our God of rest, a God that we can trust and that we can rest in. So as we talk about these roots of restlessness, we invite you to guide our thoughts, our minds, and our hearts closer to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Stu, we're here in a lesson about the roots of restlessness and... <laughs> Wow, we it begins with this this um, illustration about these aspen trees, which I always I love the sight of aspen trees. I think they're absolutely beautiful, but I did not know that they they almost are like weeds in right. that they just kind of grow everywhere, and um, the roots survive for set uh, for thousands of years. Yeah, I, I didn't know that part. You know, all, the fact that underneath you can cut the tree down and it may be there for a long time afterwards. <laughs> You're yeah. thinking more oak tree or like yeah. olive trees or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. And that they're they're kind of like interconnected. It's just like one organism with right. all these sprouts. That, you know, I know that there are other trees like that. I think maybe the sequoias do that. Is that right? Or I don't know what trees. Yeah, I know there is another tree. And well, those that are really into that stuff. are probably going to really correct us <laughs> on that. Know, but... They're going to be like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's so fascinating. Yeah. 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 But what a perfect illustration of the importance of getting the roots out and not just dealing with the the surface issues. Right, right. Yeah. I, I remember when I was a kid, um, my my parents would pay me to pick dandelions in our yard. Yeah. So we were we were living in Maryland. We had, you know, a, about an acre of property mm -hmm. and there were dandelions growing everywhere. everywhere yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they would they would pay my mom told me she would pay me a penny per dandelion, mm -hmm. right? Which was pretty good money for me back then. But I soon found out it was a lot of work to actually pull out the whole dandelion roots and all. So eventually what I started doing was just like kind of pulling off the Been top. there, done there. <laughs> putting it in because it was just so much easier. But when you do that, I mean, the it just sprouts yeah, back. Like an hour later almost, it seems like, or the next day it's like, wait a minute, I removed you. Where did you come from? <laughs> it's crazy how quickly things grow back if you let the roots remain. In fact, speaking of dandelions, I, I thought a, a whole nother perspective there's this show where this guy finds really expensive artistic stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's this really cool LED light where they had taken dandelions, you know, the sprouted ones, yeah. and individually glued. It was really a cool looking light. It was yeah. way out of my price range. But it's like, yeah, maybe dandelions aren't so bad after all. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, um, according to my mother-in-law, you can actually eat dandelions yes. too. Yeah. That they are healthy for us and uh, good for them yeah <laughs> i had no idea have you ever tried that I, I have actually yeah. i heard someone uh, it was another someone gave me the opportunity to drink some um grass you know that's supposed to be healthy for yeah. you and it tastes just like when i 
play football and face plant in the class. <laughs> so so uh, <laughs> glad it's healthy and I'll do it every now and then, but it's been a while, so. Yeah, yeah. It's not, if I remember correctly, that doesn't actually taste that great. No, not, not really. You can't put enough lemon juice and whatever else they put in there. Uh, I actually saw, you know, I thought she was, I thought she was just, you know, pulling my leg. And then I actually went to a fancy restaurant yep. in like Napa Valley and mm -hmm. they actually do serve dandelion. And I was like, wow, I guess now dandelion is like a fancy vegetable for us to eat, even though they grow everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just goes to show if, if we ever have a food shortage, we can just go pick dandelions. Well, maybe now, you know, you send your kid out there and they can do it and sell it, you know, yeah. so they, instead of a penny, they can make some more money. Who knows? But yeah, it's worth it. But I, I know we're talking about the aspen tree and, and the roots and the importance of like dandelion, if you really want to get rid of it, you mm -hmm. got to take the roots. Yeah. And in the context of this conversation about restlessness, um, I love this lesson about the root causes of restlessness. There were, there were four of them. Um, there's uh, that Jesus actually, by his presence, causes division and restlessness. That selfishness is, is a root cause. Ambition is a root cause of restlessness. And then um, hypocrisy, mm -hmm. the fact that we are doing and, and saying different things is also a cause of restlessness. So when you think about those four root causes, what which one stands out to you out of those four? Probably, I would say, um, make sure being selfishness and ambition. Um, I find the one that Jesus' presence mm -hmm. is that that was identified. And I, I think it was definitely appropriately um, reference but it's not one you would think of yeah because the basic you know rest in jesus and all this kind of stuff and so that idea but i i think it's really important because off and on you know especially when you're in in pastoral ministry and and i've involved in media ministry in different forms there can be kind of this um the reason our evangelism isn't working is kind of we're just not doing it right mm. But it's kind of built on a premise. If we just did it right, everyone would agree. Yeah, the truth isn't. The truth is that's not the case. Yeah, you know. And when we talk a little later about hypocrisy, we'll be looking into more of that. But I would say probably selfishness um, stands out because ultimately, when you really analyze what sin is, it's rooted. In selfishness, mm. it's it always is circling around that. It's if you want to talk about roots, yeah, that's what everything comes out of. And and selfishness, because you think about a lot of our anxieties. Yeah, um, when I'm afraid of something, what am I afraid of? Mm. Now, what people will think of me. Now, I, I don't want to just blanket that as selfishness, but we certainly can understand if we're resting in Jesus. A lot of those fears can go away mm. because it, it, often it's more than what people will think of me. It's, there's a deeper mm. thing than that, yeah. than just, I don't want them to think bad of me. There's, there's more about that yeah. than just that. Yeah. Wow. How about you? Some, well, first of all, you, you made some powerful connections. Um, the, this idea that restlessness, that selfishness is really at the heart of sin, sinfulness, right? That this self-centeredness, even our fears of what other people think about us have their roots in this 
self-centeredness that the world kind of revolves around me, which is hard to get out of because, I mean, the person I know best is me. And it, it does feel like, I mean, we think that we are the main character in our shows, right? right? Nobody thinks of them as the guest character in somebody else's show, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're not supporting cast, right? <laughs> so it, it is really weird. I remember sitting sometimes, I would, I, I'd be sitting and people watching at, at the mall mm -hmm. at a, like a bench or something. And I don't know, at times I would try to get out of my head and say, I wonder what it would be like to be those people, right? right, right? right. Like to be living their lives and not even know who I am right. and all the people that I know and love, that those people are not even in their minds, much less important to them. Um, like what would it be like to be those people? But that those moments are few and far in between, right? right. Most of the time we're kind of obsessed with our own our own self and yet that seems to be at the root well of and one of the things I, I mentioned a few weeks ago when it was with with pastor miguel and talked about it many times something that's more new to me hmm. is on the contrast when we talk about sin and then not sinning or obeying or obedience all that kind of stuff finding more and more that obedience is connected to love in other hmm. words the obedience should be rooted in love wow instead of selfishness yeah and when you think about all the restlessness we we struggle with, am I going to make it in heaven? Mm. Uh, am I get you know there there is a lot of selfishness. Mm. Am I going to get my mansion and things like that? Oh, wow. When it's really the rest, sin is a disease. Selfishness is a disease mm. that we're dependent on God to root out of us. Wow. And so connecting selfishness and then realizing that obedience is not motivated by a selfish reason yeah. when when you think about our conflict with why we disagree with all the comments about obedience mm -hmm. it's because it's rooted in kind of a selfish perspective yeah whereas really god is asking us to obey out of love out of gratefulness mm -hmm. when we realize what he's done for us and we realize he's telling us you know you do have a disease and I'm telling you, you can't do anything about it. Um, I'm the one that's going to root that out. And we've got to work together, but I'm the source to change that heart, wow. et cetera, et cetera. So, wow, <laughs> Stu. Friends, I hope, I hope you got this because Stu just dropped a truth bomb, a revolutionary <laughs> truth bomb on us. This idea that our that our obedience to God can even be rooted in our selfishness. That selfishness is so insidious that it even can corrupt our obedience to God, that the reason why maybe we sometimes obey God is for selfish reasons, so that um, we'll go to heaven, so that, you know, we'll get benefits for our lives, so that, and we highlight all of these, these things, that we'll have a pain-free, problem-free existence. Yeah, right? and certainly God wants us to look forward to those. Yeah. I, you don't want to over, overstate that, but yes, yeah. it, it, and, you, and you, when you think about, you look at the history of Christianity, it has a pretty awful history yeah. that it doesn't feel very Christ-like or loving. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is is grounded in this idea of obedience is for selfish reasons, mm. not out of gratefulness and, and love for God. You know, yeah. he first loved us. Yeah. Because if our obedience was truly rooted out of love for God, it would also demonstrate love for other people, which sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. And that can be disruptive, like you talked about. And actually even lead to atrocities like like the crusades for right example. right well and and given myself i'm um maybe less so now but i was always been a relatively shy person mm. um and you know a lot of, 
in dealing with confrontation and all the different things that you encounter in life, this issue has been really important to me because when I had approached, you know, kind of my consideration to God, you know, feelings of guilt, fear, all those kind of things. And it's just changed my life the more I realize that Christianity or following God is really leading us to a place of gratefulness. Mm. And then our behavior is coming out of that. And, you know, I think of some of the things that the regular routines our spouses ask us to do mm-hmm. in other contexts, they might be annoying or, you know, maybe sometimes they hurt. <laughs> but but I, I think, you know, where I'm going with this is that. Stu, you're a great husband. You never get annoyed by your wife. I can't say the same thing hey, about well, myself. Well, my dear wife puts up with me. So I, uh, but you know, there's a lot of things you do that you, um, you really don't want to do, but on the other hand, it's really not a problem to do them. Mm. You know, on occasion, sure there is, but you you understand what I'm saying is it's yeah. because of the relationship and the gratefulness and the and and the joy out of the mm-hmm. mutual things. It's particularly the mundane things of life. Yeah, um, the relationship is so much richer those small things, and it's like you know I, I really don't mind, as opposed to well yeah the rules say. I'm supposed to take the trash out three yeah. times a week and do the dishes four times. You know, that's just not a way to live life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and then it becomes all about like bean county, like and comparing, have you done enough for me when I've invested this much into a relationship? Have you reciprocated? Right. Um, and, and let's be honest, at times that the relationship can get to that point. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there were times when our kids were young or just newborns and mm-hmm. Um, we would be alternating turns, getting mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night right. to care for right. our kids. And there would be times that I would say to my wife, you know, it's your turn. You know, I took the last two turns. It's your t-. And she would say the same thing to me. Right. So hopefully our relationship doesn't stay there, though, right? right? Because that, that's what happens when we lose the sense of, like you said, mm-hmm. of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Of gratitude that, man, I can't believe that this woman, this, this woman that I... I never thought I would ever deserve yeah. decided to be with me. And if I can hold that sense of gratitude and right. awe throughout my relationship, things will be okay. Well, yeah. especially, you know, is your wife what they have to go through to give birth? It's like, you know yeah. what? <laughs> it's true. I owe you at least a little bit. At least, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> so. so true. Oh my goodness. Yes. Man, I, I don't want to get into that too deeply, but there are things that happen in there that I cannot unsee. And um, I'm just so grateful to my wife that she went through that. I'm grateful that I didn't have to go through that. Well, you know, and they wow. talk about the unique bond um, mothers have with their children. It's like, good for them. <laughs> They've earned it. <laughs> they earned it. That's I'm so proud true. of her. And she was a great, she is and was a great, is and was a great mom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and 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 that's the same thing that's true of our relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. If we take those moments of gratitude, if we remind ourselves of just how amazing a God He really mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and not just amazing because He's powerful and majestic, but because of how much He cares for us and how He's shown that and demonstrated with Jesus, obviously, and then also in just personal on the personal level in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we can hold on to that sense of gratitude, it would combat selfishness. Now, you asked me what one stood out. There's kind of these four yeah. key areas of restlessness. What, what was one that stood out to you? 
Well, this idea of division that Jesus causes mm-hmm. division that you mentioned earlier, man, um, because it does, as the as the um, lesson talks about, it does seem counterintuitive because God is a God of love, like we've been talking about, that God is a God of unity and harmony. So how can that God of love cause division, right? How does his presence cause division um, in, the, in, in this chapter? And yeah, so that's that's been... That's that. That was one that you know stood out to me. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, I, I think it's really important to kind of recognize. I think at least when I think of that, I think of more Jesus' time and big things mm-hmm. that that you know they crucified him, so it provides it it instigates division in that sense. But when you think about it, going back to selfishness. Part of the struggle of of the Christian journey Mm. is God essentially peeling back the onion, if you will, and you discover more selfishness. Mm. And and there's times in a more human way, you know, what are the times, talking about spouses, what is maybe some of the most frustrating when they call you out on something Mm. that you know they're right? Yes, right? Yes. That's yes. the worst. You know, if you have a smidgen of chance that maybe you're right, that's a little different. But um, yeah. part of the Christian journey is, is at least in, in my experience, but I, I think that's what the Bible describes. It's, it's kind of, you really discover how the roots, going back to those aspects, just goes and goes and goes mm. in selfishness. And, and so in a certain sense, that can create division even within yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, often our first reaction, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, no, he's not asking me to do that. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately the ideal is when we kind of surrender, okay, I recognize, acknowledge, and then you go to God and that's what I love about it. Like my conversations with God have changed over the years where it's like, okay, God, I agree. I got to deal with this. And then I'll just tell him, but you know, God, you know, I don't really want to do that right now. Mm. I need your help to change my heart. And uh, my experience, he does, mm. you know, and there are certain things where I felt, felt like it was like impossible. That I was going to be able to let that go. It was such a big deal. It's not a, a, a big deal. And, wow. and then I discovered new ones. But... <laughs> That's so true. But I, 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 I would yeah. have to say, as it discovered you, you, yeah. you do feel there's a, a, a depth. And, and again, just like a, a relationship, yeah. you know, you have maybe some conflict with your spouse, but you work through those. And the more you work through those and get to the other side, mm-hmm. the relationship can be getting richer and richer and deeper and deeper. So even if there's new challenges, yeah. um, especially when you have those experiences, then mm-hmm. it, it's almost, in a strange way, it's almost encouraging because you have some confidence you're going to get through the other side. Yeah. And then there is something to look forward to on the other side. Yeah. 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 This, this idea that even God himself, the work that he does is challenging to us. So obviously it's going to cause some strife within ourselves and then maybe strife in people who show allegiance to him or not, that there is actually a cost to discipleship. Right. Um, because typically in, in pop culture, I see two caricatures of God that are very common. One is that God is a very judgmental and mad and angry, and he's just looking out to find a way to, to shut you down and kill all your joy. 
that type of God. And then the other one is sort of the Santa Claus type of God where God is just there to make you happy and fulfill your greatest dreams. And yet God is neither of those, right? What you seem to be saying is that God is someone in between who, who does love us deeply. He's a father who loves us deeply, a parent that loves us deeply. And yet because he loves us, he does challenge us and he challenges us to grow and to improve. I love, um, a Max Lucado statement um, in his book, Just Like Jesus, he says, um, he, he talks about his his child and how when his child was young, she would like to eat sand out of the sandbox. And he says, do I love my sand eating child? He says, obviously I do. I love her very much. But does that mean I'm just going to let her eat sand? And he says, no, because I love her, I'm going to stop her from eating sand, right? And he says, that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus loves us just the way we are but he doesn't leave us that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus. Well, you know, we say Jesus is a healer. Mm. Well, think about that. Well, a healer, first of all, um, there's a diagnosis involved. Mm. So we're sick. We're sinners. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the, the expressions, I think some of it is just the natural way of humans. You, you cannot believe in God and feel guilt. Yeah. You know, and... To some extent, I feel a lot of what God's trying to do is to remove guilt rather than add guilt. Mm -hmm. And so when, if he's a healer, and then when we read all the things he's done for us, he's trying to provide a solution. Why is it we keep falling into this fear dynamic with mm -hmm. God and burden dynamic with God? Now, having said that, I, I think one of the great tragedies is, like you've said, it's either fear and like you look at a lot of these cathedrals when you go through europe they've got all these carvings that show mm -hmm. jesus coming and then there's people in hell and people go you know it's it really it scare the living daylights out of you <laughs> yeah. or the other is like you know just just believe and uh do the best you can and mm -hmm. and you'll get your mansion and why the second one is bothering and i understand why especially people that have grown up in such heavily burdensome mm -hmm. views of god why there's some respite in that space. Mm. But what happens, though, is that I think it limits our change. Mm -hmm. We need to acknowledge it is a struggle. Mm. The difference is it's not like, like Paul references running the race and Olympics. Well, as you know, with Olympics, one gets to win. God is saying it is a struggle, but everyone can win. I, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I think it, it, it bears repeating. Um, I, I, I'll never forget. I'm, I'm not, I, I used to play a lot of tennis. I don't play tennis that much. I remember watching a specific match. Um, and I, I think I've said this in the Sabbath school before, but I, it, it's just so profound to me between Nadal and Federer. Mm -hmm. And at first it looked like one was going to win and then the other, and then how they, and it opened a lot of doors in my mind in terms of perseverance and focus and not giving up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the biggest thing that really struck me is with a lot of athletes, they're almost surprised to lose. <laughs> they expect to win. Yeah, it's true. And this is why this is such an important concept to me. God is saying, listen, you need to know it's a struggle, mm. but you need to expect to win <laughs> because wow. I'm the one. I have already overcome the world. Yes. 
And when you're asking me into your heart, you're asking that victory into your life. Mm. So then as you're going through life and growing out of this selfishness, the unhealthy ambition, et cetera, that you can expect to win Mm. because I'm on your side. It's not God. Well, if, if, if you pass the test, it's almost the insidiousness of Santa Claus, this Cole, like if you were good, you get a present. If you don't, <laughs> that's true. That's that's true. That's not how God is thinking. It's like, yeah. listen, I know you're bad, and the only way you're going to be good is I need to work in through you. I've already come to overcome the world, so I'm telling you it can be done. Hmm. I'm going to work in your life, and let's let's work on that. And please, He's kind of saying, your value to me has nothing to do with you winning or losing, succeeding or failing. When you fail, it breaks my heart. Mm. When the child disobeys, burns their hand on the stove, it brings pain to the parents. Mm -hmm. We're sorry. Um, We don't think, oh, okay, you're not my kid anymore. I'm gonna get rid of you. I don't love you anymore. (laughs) Especially as we're talking about all the work your wife has gone through to get birth to (laughs) for sure. But, but, you know, I I think, that's such an important, it is a struggle, but expect mm, to win. Yes. And it's not a pep talk. It's yeah. it's like, it's how it works. Yes. The reality is that it's going to be tough, but we will succeed at the end. Uh, I love the metaphor that you had about healing, right? Because healing is often painful, right? The process of healing, especially if, um, like I recently had a root canal done and Ouch. it was a painful process. <laughs> I mean... My doctor, my dentist, she did a great job of numbing me. And, and But afterwards, it was sore. There was pain. There is it, the healing process. There is some pain involved in that. But if the doctor is skilled, it will heal. And our doctor, we have the greatest physician, mm-hmm. right? And so we will heal. We will win the race. Um, but the process is not always going to be easy. Yeah. There is a cost to it. Well, another thing as we talk about, you know, I've mentioned, uh, you've talked about division. I talked about selfishness. Another one was ambition. Mm. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I feel selfishness and ambition, it's important for Christians to clarify Mm. that. And what I'm referencing, I think there's a lot of restlessness and it takes selfishness. Mm -hmm. The, a person can become selfless, which we aspire to, but it can get real murky where people lose themselves. Hmm. And it's important to understand that God isn't asking us to lose ourselves in in the sense you understand what I'm saying. We don't lose our identity. I believe that's why it's a struggle. God doesn't come down and say, Joey, okay, here's the 10 sins, whatever. Boom, gone. Now let's go. I mean, we have kids. Yeah. You know, if God just, if we just took care of everything for the kids, what happens? Yeah. You know? And, and so I, I think that selfishness and selflessness gets a little murky. And the same thing with ambition. There's almost a, it's, it's wrong to aspire. Mm. And I think the lesson is focusing on that ambition at the cost yeah. of other people. But there's certainly some, some inspiring ambition that's motivated, um, by God, inspired by God, aspire to ambition for his honor and, and, and glory. And I know this is an area where I've struggled with because it's easy for that ambition. You think even you're trying to do for God's honor, honor and glory. Yeah. And if you really sit down, it's like, it's really for me. 
<laughs> it's true. It's it's even better because see, I'm I'm doing it in the name of God. So yeah. this is really pure selfish ambition. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean it's a great point you're making that um God does put us within us a desire to be a part of something great, to do something great. And he also gives us opportunities to do something great for him. Um but with these disciples, like in, in the passage that's covered here um, in, in Luke, it's it's crazy because these disciples, Jesus washes their feet. He's their master. He washes their feet. And immediately after that, at least the way that Luke describes it, they, they get into this bickering, this very common fight that they've had over and over again about who's the greatest. And What's going to come right after this is the greatest sacrifice, the greatest act of service that humanity has ever witnessed, God dying for humanity. And so there's this irony. So where did these disciples go wrong? How did their ambition to do something great, to be something great, where did they, how did it run amok and, and get them into trouble and get them into the space where they can't even see what, what Jesus is doing for them? Um, because they're so obsessed with this idea of who's the greatest. Well, one of the things that really strikes me in that whole context and, and around there is the idea of listening. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you read some of the texts, Christ essentially straight out said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and it's true. you know, we're reading that. It's like, how foolish could you be? You said <laughs> How can it right you miss there. That? <laughs> but I, I think it's a, a really important lesson to us. I think God is telling us things now. Mm. And that comes into the thing, you know, how what are we doing in terms of our devotional time? Are we having any devotion at all? Mm. Are are we putting ourselves in places at church or Sabbath school, whatever, where we can hear from God and yeah. what's going on, reading our Bibles? And I know when we start getting to that space, some people can start feeling, a, a, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. You know, a lot of those things that I've found very helpful is uh, when I acknowledge or I, I, I take the time to acknowledge I need to do something, mm. I place it in God's hands. That, Lord, I know I need to do this. And I, I do whatever effort I can. And I just keep coming back. I know I need to. And ultimately, I pray yeah. when, when you see a story like that, it's in there probably to tell me that I probably have something similar. Yeah. That's why it was kept. Because there were certainly a lot of stories that <laughs> more than they're in the Bible. Yes. But that was there that Jesus was trying to tell them and think of how their experience would have been different. Mm. Instead of worrying about who is the greatest, it, it, it's like, I love it when people say, you know, I'm really a humble person or I'm the <laughs> humblest person in the world. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. did hear what you just said, right? <laughs> that's like, that's like Moses writing, um, you know, in the, in the, uh, the Pentateuch and Moses was the humblest man <laughs> alive. And it's just like, did Moses really write that? That, that seems like a very, um, prideful thing to, to write. Yeah. What do you think in terms of why you think the disciples because we get some indication that the mm. disciples understood something was up. Yeah. You know, they had this whole Jesus on the donkey thing going on. Mm -hmm. So something's going on. Yeah. Why they went to that. Yeah. You know, if I 
if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong on this, a lot of those conversations did seem to come up around the same time Jesus is talking about the sacrifice or his death or things like that. So maybe there was an element of escapism there that that this conversation about who's the greatest, that, that conversation is very uncomfortable because it shatters everything that, you know, their whole belief structure, it shatters their expectations for the future. It, they They probably didn't know how to react to that. They're like, no, that's not what the Messiah does, Jesus. Let me tell you what the Messiah does, right? So there, there was probably a lot of discomfort when Jesus said this because it's like, you know, God, Jesus, I love the miracles. I love the healing. I love how you're caring for the sick and poor. We can build on that. You know, we can we can build a great leader out of that. You're talking about dying and 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 then leaving us and 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 then being. I mean, that's that's something that that's something that was just incomprehensible for them. So maybe it was a, a part of it was an escape method for them to have these arguments. And then I think the other part is is like you were saying about selfishness. We're just very self-centered. And if it's not about us, a lot of times it doesn't enter our orbit of thinking, right? It's like, you know, um sometimes if you're planning things with other people and then they start talking about some of the challenges that they're facing in their area of of work at at at, at a job it, it's sometimes easy to space out because you're like well that doesn't really have anything to do with me and my job you know i'm i feel bad for you that you're going through that but it's it's not really about and then they say something that may in, interact with what you're doing and all of a sudden you're in on you're the conversation engaged. yeah you're engaged <laughs> So maybe that's also part of it is um, is this idea that there is there is that self-centered aspect to that that they didn't that that their most that the thing that they're most concerned was it with was how is this all going to impact me? How is Jesus being Messiah and now me sacrificing and leaving my family and following him and doing you know serving him? How is that going to benefit me and take me to the next level? Um, that 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 idea of ambition. So, well, and I think it's really important for us to realize these were individuals that were traveling with Jesus, so they were pretty engaged yeah. with Jesus. So when we think of ourselves, whether we're in pastoral ministry or church members, wherever whatever walk of life, but we're we've made a decision to walk with Jesus. We need to recognize that's very likely a struggle we're going to have to face in some form mm -hmm. where all of us want to matter, mm. you know, want to have meaning. And that's often where you get in trouble. When I think in, in leadership, I know you've done a lot of study or you're doing a lot of study in, in leadership and have gifts, actually, a lot of gifts in those areas. You understand that... Um, Leading people isn't really rooted in being char in charge of them. Yeah. And a lot of the mm. old school thing is, I'm in charge of you. No, it's, it's very much a, a servant. Mm. And even the Godhead mm -hmm. is a model of more equality kind of, you know, serving kind of leadership. And but I, I think there's that struggle that if you don't, if you haven't come to a place to realize that even when you do, you kind of keep sliding back. There's, there's kind of an identity like, well, if I have that title, if I'm this, 
then I am valuable. I'm mm. meaningful and, and people respond. Yeah. Whereas when you, in many respects, Christ was reticent to be in the, the crowds were jarring to him. That's he'd go away to the quiet mm -hmm. and, you know, he wasn't looking to be the rock star in the 60,000 person, yeah. you know, stadium, you know, and yeah. all the cheering and stuff. Whereas we, it's like, wow, that's, that's quite a rush, man. Yeah. This is pretty crazy. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think it's kind of rooted in identity. And that's why when we realize everything that we are, Everything that we can be is all based on Jesus' presence. Mm. And so in that sense, it's not divisive. It's the, Hopefully it's divisive in the sense it's, it's rooting out what's getting in our, in, our, in our way of being rested and at peace, the mm. Prince of Peace, you know. And I, I just find that really fascinating what they were, go, what's going on there. But I, I think it really illustrates how intense the struggle is because mm -hmm. we can point the fingers at the disciples and I'm not completely convinced I wouldn't have been in the same <laughs> conversation. All of us would like to think, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But that's what Peter said. I'm not going to uh, deny you. And what did he do? Yeah. Because he was confident self. And that's why I just, dear God, I see this pray that I see what you're trying to say and, yeah. and listen. Yeah, it's so true. Um, and what you just described about leadership is, I think, precisely why your team loves you, Stu, and they follow <laughs> you is because you demonstrate that kind of servant leadership where it's not really just about, it's not about you, it's about the team and how you're able to support them and serve them. And that's what Jesus modeled. And that's what the disciples didn't seem to get. That's where ambition got in the way. If their ambition had been to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus loved, it wouldn't have been a problem. But right. their ambition was, what can I get for myself? Right. It was ambition rooted in selfishness that caused this challenge. So then now as we as we approach the end of the study, you know, on Thursday, it talks about um, the roots of how do we unroot these roots of restlessness, right? And, and, and it goes into John chapter 14, which is a beautiful passage near the end of Jesus's life. This is his final message to, to his, his disciples. And um, he says, and I just want to read this. It's John chapter 14, verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled, or we could even replace that with restless. Like, do not be restless, right? Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, there's so much here, but it seems to start with this idea that the he's contrasting letting your heart be troubled, restless, with belief mm -hmm. in God. So then how does trust and belief in God help uproot these causes of restlessness? Well, I think earlier in the lesson, it, it, it quoted one of the texts, you know, unless you become like children, when we were mm. talking about ambition. And this is where I think it's so critical. And it, it's, it's almost a very unique paradox. God wants us to think and reason and all that kind of stuff. But that thinking and reasoning in the ideal sense, should lead to humility, not mm. arrogance. And why I bring that up in this context is that 
ultimately, if we can reach a place where we just implicitly trust God, that he's handling it, mm. and we can expect to win, if you will, yeah. think of the peace that brings, mm. especially when God has never said, um, you know, you accept me and then all the problems of the world go away. Mm. And I think that's the power of our faith in Christ when we really fully experience it is that we can be in the most intense situations and still have a sense of contentment and peace. Wow. And that's just, it's inexplainable. Yeah. It's essentially supernatural. Yeah. But imagine if you could just, when you read the words of Christ, with all the understanding that we know that in, in the scriptures and in, in stuff like that, and because we there are those that, you know, just think God dictated to somebody and they wrote it down and, and all this complications and stuff. And I realize that's one of the reasons there's that people dive into that because it's very, in a certain sense, ambiguous mm -hmm. to trust in the word of God unless it's just literally the word of God. But since he doesn't want us to lose our individuality mm -hmm. and you know, some of the things that mean the most to you is when you discover them yeah. as opposed to hold them. Yeah. But think if we could reach a point with all the richness we know about the scriptures and continue that we could just land in a place that we implicitly trust Christ. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That, and that, that confidence in God is what gives us peace. You know, when you were talking, I was thinking about a time when I was scared as a child. Um, I remember we, my family loved going camping, um, and camping's great. The trees and the hiking, it's, it was so much fun. Maybe some aspen trees. <laughs> <laughs> some aspen trees, yeah. <laughs> but at night, those same aspen trees that look beautiful kind of look a little creepy, right? With the well, shadows they, and... pine trees, they hit each other yeah. and it's windy and what's that sound? Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So I remember this one time that I was, I had to go to the bathroom. You know, the bathroom is usually somewhere away from the camp. And cold. Yes, it's cold. <laughs> and I was young and I, I was getting scared. Um, it's like walking there by myself. I had my little flashlight, but it wasn't very bright. And so I found myself getting panicky and scared. And then I heard footsteps behind me. And I was like, oh no, who's coming? Who's coming? <laughs> and I looked back and it was my dad. And it's, it was almost like magic, you know? All that fear went away. This went away. Because if my dad was with me, who could stand against me? right? That confidence. And that's, that's, here, that's what you're saying that, man, when we have confidence in God, nothing else can fear. Wow, what us. a powerful story. I think that is the essence. Our father is with us. Mm -hmm. Believe that. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything interrupting your belief in that, go to God and say, take that away you are with me. That's just such a great story because that's really the essence. Yeah. Like a child. Um, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, the other aspect that I, I see with this is that, you know, we've been talking about um, selfishness and ambition. And we've been kind of circling around this idea of discontent, that both of these things, when we're self-centered and we have ambition for ourselves, there's always a sense of discontent. There's never enough. I'm never where I need to be or want to be. 
And it does cause restlessness when we are in the state of discontent. And yet, God, when we trust in God, then it seems to kind of counteract that discontent, realizing that if God has this, if he is, he's in control, then I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm exactly doing what I need to do because God is in control of my life. And that control, that, that trust in God gives us confidence. Well, that's one of the things I, I, I love about God is I think it answers some key questions in terms of the expectation God has is high. As a parent, if you expect nothing, you'll get what you expect. Yes. So the expe expectation is high. Mm -hmm. So let's not dilute it by, well, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Expectation is high. But then that same expectation is coming, some, coming from someone saying, let your heart, don't let it be troubled. Mm -hmm. And imagine expecting a lot of yourself, but being content yeah. where you are. Wow. Yeah, because we don't want to crush ambition completely, right? We don't want people that are like, okay, God, I'm going to sit on this couch and then because you, you, you're going to take care of all of it, right? Yep. That doesn't seem to be the message of scripture. Yeah, could you send me a little manna, by the way, while you're <laughs> working that out? Yes. Yes, <laughs> and yes. maybe some water from the brook or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So not, it's not that all ambition is bad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, is not that our, our, all our we, we're getting rid of all our goals, but what is the target of our ambition? Is our ambition for, like you said, for self, or is it to do something good for God, to do something good for other people, to show love to the world? What is what is our ambition leading us towards? And I know we go to this often when we want to illustrate this, but you've seen a good film, a good show, or or some, you've gone camping to a great place. Mm -hmm. You don't find a lot of um, restriction or you're not inhibited to say, wow, that was great. Yeah. And I really strongly believe God wants us individually to experience the reality of him in such a way mm. that when we're looking to share him, it's not like, oh, well, you know, the rule says I should share my faith. It's like, wow, this was so meaningful to me. Joy, I, I want to share this with you. And, and so it's not about, hey, I've got something that you need. And I'm, it's just like, this is so meaningful to me. I would like you to experience, especially when I observe you suffering. Yeah. So it's coming from a place of care and concern, not superiority, or yeah. I know better or something. It's just we're traveling on this planet, a journey. And man, what a wonderful thing. The end of that, John... 14 is, you know, basically Jesus says, and you know what? Yeah, I've built all this stuff, but you can be here with me. Yes, yes, with me. And that seems to be the key here. Um, yeah, because really, if our trust and our, our, our confidence is rooted in Christ, then the, the most brilliant, the best reward is to be with God, just like when, when I'm close to my father, when I, as a child, it gave me confidence and gave me strength. When we're close to our father, it gives us confidence and it gives us, it gives us strength. And there is coming a day when that, that, that will not just be a principle or uh, an invisible reality, but it will be a present reality that we can see and touch and feel that God is, is with us as he's with us now. Well, what's the best friend experience? 
someone that knows everything about you and still loves hanging out with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus knows more about us than we do. Yes. And he's saying, hey, I put everything in place yeah. so you can be with me. What a great thing to look forward to. What a great thing to look forward to. Yeah. You know, this this whole passage ends with this this idea of the future reality where we're with with God. And maybe that's one way to hold on to that trust is to remember that this world is not the all that it, there is, right? There's so much more um, in the future. And that that expanseless, um, that that endless stretch of history that's waiting for us after the 70, 80 years that we're done here on earth. We're going to be with God, our best friend. And man, I can't wait for that day. (laughs) Well, friends, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'd like to invite Stu, would you pray for us? Most gracious heavenly father, you know, we're restless, but you're offering the opportunity that you're asking us, don't let your heart be troubled. And anyone viewing or listening, we reach out to you to reach out to them. May they find the peace and rest that you promise to each one of us. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Friends, may you find the peace that comes from being confident in our God, our great God, who is always with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.